Okay, once again, welcome to the Unshakable Foundation meeting of Cocaine Anonymous. This is a main share meeting, and today it's with great pleasure, so much gratitude, that I'm welcoming Edwina S., all the way from Dublin, who's come to share for about 40 minutes around Step 12, including page 100 of our beautiful big book, after which we'll open up for Q&A. Uh, thank you so much for coming today, Edwina, and with that, it's over to you. Thank you so much, Young, and thanks, everybody. My name is Edwina, and I'm a very grateful drug addict and alcoholic. And uh, it's an honour to be here, you know, and it's a, I just want to thank you, Young, as well, for just all the service you do. You know, this little platform has been amazing for me and for many of the women that I help. I add them to the group and I also send them the audio as well, just in case they miss it, like, you know, and post it in their little WhatsApp home groups in the mornings. And, you know, so I'm really grateful that every time I wake in the morning, you're up before me and I have something to listen to on my long drive to work. Um. So, yeah, and, and look, at when you text me and asked me to do a share and what would I like to share on, immediately what always comes to me is to share on step 12, you know, because um, it's what's bred life into me. It's what's given me a new life. It's what's shown me how to grow up. It's what's, it's what's taught me about myself. It's what's taught me, you know, love thy neighbour even when I don't want to. It has shown me so many things about life that I absolutely didn't know about when I came into Cocaine Anonymous first. And, you know, just to to state as well, like I came into my first Cocaine Anonymous meeting in April 2014 and I was in a, det- in a treatment detox centre and I was made to go over to the CAH&I meeting there and I didn't want to go over, but I went over. And from that very first day that I went to that meeting to this day, I have not drank or used. You know, so it's nice to to be able to say that because when I came in to see it, I really heard the message. I'd been knocking around for a good few years in centres before and meetings. And um, I was very broken and open by the time I, I, I went to that very first CA meeting. And I heard a message with depth and weight, as we say around here. And uh, I don't know what she spoke much about, only um, I was attracted to to what she had to offer. And I felt the energy in the room. I mean, we're so lucky in, in the fellowship that we, you know, that we're in because there is um, there's life in it. There's hope in it. There's an, there's an energy in it, you know, and that's how God speaks to me through other people. Like, you know, and I'm just very grateful for the people who have gone before me. And that's, I suppose, why I am I'm in love with giving back. You know, I do it because my my primary purpose is to stay clean. That's my first primary purpose, no matter what, you know. And then after that, it's to help other people. So, you know, the 12 step is is divided up into three. And the first part of it, having had the spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, you know, and I often hear different people saying they're not as a result of anything else, but as a result of the steps, you know, and that's it. That's what the step says, like, and uh, just to touch on, you know, a little bit, of what brought me to that, I suppose. And um, I haven't had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. So I had to have a spiritual awakening. And that's what actually I heard in that first meeting that I went to, that that lady did speak about how 
when the drugs and the drinks were gone, how she was left feeling the restlessness, the irritability and the discontent. Now, I didn't know when I came in here for it that I was a walk and fear person. I didn't know I was restless. I didn't know any of those words or that kind of language. You know, I had grew up with two alcoholic parents. I was a drug addict and alcoholic from a very young age. I picked up my fourth drink at only nine like I was only a baby when I picked up a drink. I never had a chance at growing up or learning any kind of life skills or any skills, you know. But I know that I loved the 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 effects produced from all alcohol and drugs. It didn't matter what the drug was, you know. When you, you hear it so much, thanks to all these new speaker tapes that we hear all over the world. You know, this, I heard someone sharing one of the tapes the other day, like, wet or dry, if it gets me high, you know. And I was like, geez, it's so true. Like, it didn't matter what it was. Um, every drug that I tried, that was my drug. And that's what I loved. And that's what gave me ease and comfort until it didn't. And I moved on to the next thing and the next thing. And, you know, when I came into Cocaine Anonymous, there's a little part in the book that I'm told that I, I said to, to Young that I would read and I would take my share from there. And it's something that I sit down with every woman that I start the steps with and I read it to her. It was read to me in the very early days by a man from Scotland. And I, he told me that he read it to his sponsors. And there's actually a girl on here today that I read it with today. You know, we only done this part this morning. We started the book today. And I always read this part first. And I'm going to read it to you guys. It's on page 100, the big book. It's beautiful. And it says, when working with a man or woman, no, it doesn't. It says both you and the new man or woman must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we will realise the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances are. So no matter what's going on for anybody here today, whether you're brand new in the door like some people are, or whether you're around 100 years, no matter what's going on, if we can walk day by day and place ourselves in God's hands, what comes to us is better than anything we could have planned. Imagine that. That's a promise. Imagine anything Edwina thought up of when she came into recovery first. When I pushed all those things aside, God had something so much more beautiful planned for me. And let me tell you, the old cliche saying, if I had got what I wanted in early recovery, I would have robbed myself. That is so true. It's so true for me and it's so true for many other people who I hear along the way. You know, when I came in here first, just before that little part of the book, it talks about getting your family back. You know, when I came in here first, I was a year separated from my husband. He was taking me to court to take the children out of my care social services was involved I really really thought I'll get me marriage back I'll get the family all reassembled everything will come to play you know and um, it'll all work out and it'll be fine and then things didn't come back for me I didn't get my marriage back instead my husband remarried somebody else and had another family you know I didn't ha- I never picked up I never thought of picking up because I was on a solid foundation with, with a strong woman in, in the fellowship you know but just to touch on again, you know, before coming in, like I'll just talk even about what it was like the first few months before I came in here, because without going back into all the, the other stuff, when I came here, that last year of me using, 
I remember being just behind me here with my ex-husband 11 years ago and him saying, I'm leaving. Edwina, I'm fucking leaving you. I can't do this anymore. And I'm taking them kids with me. I had a three-year-old and a six-year-old at the time. And I was roaring, crying, please, please don't leave me. And I mean, any drug addict or alcoholic knows that sincere, like, please, in your heart. Well, you don't want to be doing what you're doing. I did not want to be doing what I was doing. I was doing horrific things. I was lying. I was cheating. I was scamming. I was I was stepping over my children. I had them in the backs of cars while I was using drugs in the front of the car, telling them to sit down. I didn't want, want to be that kind of mother. I disgusted myself, you know, but the obsession to use was so much greater than all of that. And I remember him saying, oh, that's it. I'm gone. And I was crying, please. And I meant it in my heart. And I said, please give me another chance. And the second I seen in his eye that he was going to give me another chance, my mind didn't say, Edwina, you have another chance here. Get your shit together. Get clean. Get back to the meetings. My mind didn't say that. My mind said, I hope he goes out now with the lads so you can get a bag. Because I knew I had him. My disease was on it. It was like, he's gone. So the mind, all the, the obsession to use is always greater than anything. The love from my family. You know, he did eventually leave. You know, I say he got the balls to leave because I, I was a bully. Like he was afraid to leave me, if, if the truth be told. Because I don't know about any of the alcoholics here, but I was, I can be a nasty piece of work like when things aren't going my way. And, um, you know, when he did leave, my using, of course, got worse. And, uh, well, it couldn't have got any worse. But, I mean, the dangerous situations got worse because now I had two little lives with me as well, you know. And I remember waking up in a coma one, one day in hospital and my lungs had collapsed. My mind didn't say, it's a good idea, Edwina, to get clean. I was only 21 at the time. It's a good idea to get clean, Edwina. No, no, no. My mind said, use while you're in the hospital. Should the doctor can pump up your lung? You can get clean when you go home tomorrow. Because the insanity always won out with me. Always, always, always. Until February 2014, I reached a place in my car after dropping my kids up to a neighbour's house here where I live in Tipperary. I am from Dublin, but I live in Tipperary. And I dropped the children up the road. And I was screaming my head off at them going out the door. Get out, get out, because they wouldn't move quick enough. Because you know how we become like sergeant majors and we want everything and we want it now. And the people have to do is be pleased. And they were going out the door and I was driving away and I looked at me rear view mirror and my little three-year-old daughter, she was looking out the window at me in the neighbor's house, little cold nose up against the window. She was roaring, crying. And I just thought like, you're a useless piece of shit to do it them kids would be so much better off without you my father had committed suicide years before I really didn't want to put my kids through that I knew how horrific having a, a parent commit suicide is on a child like you know but addicts and alcoholics they are quite selfish I you know I, I thought just die just fucking die they'd be better off without you so all the way I'm driving to meet the dealer and I'm thinking, just get the bag inside you. Get the bag inside you and you'll be okay. Just get the bag or the drink or anything, get inside you. You know, I was also prone to drinking lots of brandy as well. So anything to get inside me. And for once, the very first time I was using that day in the car, I scored straight away, I was using the car, crying into the bag, same as I have even for fucking ages anyway. And for the very first time, my mind said, you are the problem. Like it's like a rude awakening. Some people say a spiritual awakening can be a rude awakening. I know I had a four step experience that day in the car before I came into CA, before a book was open to me, before anything. Internally, I was smashed wide open and broken, and I knew I was the problem. I knew it in that moment. Call it whatever you want, divine intervention. 
breaking of the, you know, and everything changed in that moment. That was February. I didn't get clean and sober for another two months because I had to go through a detox. But everything changed in that moment. When you become open and broken, opportunity is everywhere. You see the good and the God everywhere. You see people want to help everywhere. But when you're in the dark, in this, that fucking darkness of active alcoholism and addiction, or even untreated alcoholics and addiction, you know what it's like to be full of resentment. Everything looks dark around you. The people look dark. Everyone's judgments on everybody. The fear is rampant and you're running. But I broke that day and everything looked good again. I knew there was there was something out there that was going to change and something else that was going to give me hope. And people have presented. People were putting me past because that's how God works. That's what this step 12 is all about. God works through people. But you need to be open. We're deaf, dumb and blind when we come in here for us. We can't see any good in anything. We can't hear any good and we can't say any good. Well, I can't. But I tell you what, that day something shifted in me and I went into the treatment centre and I went to that CME and that woman read out a message and I asked her, will you help me go through the 12 steps? And she said she would. And there was no cocaine anonymous around where I lived. I lived 120 miles outside of Dublin. There was no CA there. So she said to me, drive up to me uh, once a week to do the steps and drive up once or twice a week to go to meetings. You know, so it was a two hour drive. There was no such thing as Zoom then or there's no young sending out nice speaker tapes for you to lie in bed and listen to on your days off. It was get the fuck up off your arse and go to a meeting and make a cup of tea for somebody. And that's how I used and drank. I wasn't one to sit down in bed at home and hope the drugs would land in my lap or the, the brandy or the any drink would land in my lap. I got up each day and sought them out like a desperate dying woman that I was who needed alcohol and drugs in her body to survive. So that's what I knew I was going to have to do to survive in the program. I didn't even know that intellectually. I didn't know that, but I'd done it because I knew internally I had to do this stuff. I just, I knew I was told do this. I just done it. You know, I suppose when you're broken, you're very teachable. And I used to drive up and down to our house to go through the steps. And the journey started. This the part of the that part of the 12 steps says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. So I drove up every week to her. She'd done a chapter a week with me. That's how that's how we went through it. People go through it differently, whatever way your sponsor tells you, that's the right way, you know. And uh, I went through a, a chapter a week and um she gave me two weeks to write a fourth step. And then I started having my own awakening. I was only six months sober and clean when I was finished. And she said, you need to start helping other people as soon as you get to step 12. I didn't have to be told twice. I saw out newcomers. There was no one in CA where I lived. So I used to drive 120 miles twice a week to sponsor these houses to open the book with them. Like, now, not because I'm a great woman, but because I knew my life depended on it. And not only that, I heard early in the meetings, Edwina, you don't have to live this way anymore. And I always carry that message to new women and men. And I love telling people, darling, you don't have to live this way anymore. There's another way. And guess what? Edwina knows the way. Edwina has found, like, it's an invocation. It's a hobby to helping others. But I feel a real sense of purpose in my life doing it. It's the only one thing I'm actually seem to be good at. I get asked to, like, talk at meetings sometimes because I seem to be able to carry some sort of message. I seem to be able to do recovery okay. I seem to be able to almost get 10 years next month, please God, you know, one day at a time, like, you know. And it's not a direct, direct, direct result of what I do. Yes, I have to put in the footwork. 
Yes, I have to do those pieces. Of course I do. Yes, I have to open my home up to women, which I've always done. Um, But it's because I've got a love on God and I've got in touch with that God. And that's what happens when you go through the 12 steps. I found what I was looking for in drugs, men, drink, all that kind of stuff. I'm always chasing, always my little spirit. I was always seeking, 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 seeking ease and comfort. And I found it in alcohol and drugs growing up. Thank God I had alcohol and drugs growing up. I came from carnage. They made me feel safe. They made me feel okay. They gave me a community of people who I connected with. Like I have a community in AA and CA now. I had that in the, in the, it's so important. Connection is so important. If I could tell anybody anything, just stay connected. You know, just a friend of mine rang me today. I think she's on, she's still on the meeting there. Like she rang me today and, you know, use and looks attractive again because there's no connection in your life anymore. Like how does that happen after a few years of being around? You know, it's so important that we just stay so connected in this fellowship. Like, and what other way to do that only of being of service to other people, you know? And like what I was saying, I found going through the 12 steps what I saw in alcohol and drugs. Obviously, I found it. I was strung out on heroin for years. It was the best field position, safety, wound position I've ever felt in my life. I loved it. It's the only time I ever felt safe in my skin. My skin used to crawl. I was just, I hated myself and I hated I hated being with myself. I couldn't be with myself, you know. And uh, so obviously if I went through the 12 steps and found something that has given me this feeling, I'm going to want to keep it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to share. I want to enhance it. I'm going to, you know, do it. And that's the hope for the newcomer, that you'll know, that you'll see, that you'll have a bit of hope that, well, if it worked for her, surely this can work for me. She took alcohol and drugs and loved them the way I loved them, but now loves this more. Surely that can work for me, and it can. That's why we're here. That's why Young and I and other people turn up. One is our primary purpose. We do it because we want to stay clean and sober. But two is we want to look you in the eye and say, you don't have to live this way. There is another way, you know. And then like the second part of the 12-step having had a spiritual relationship, we tried to carry this message. So that's what we're doing. We try to carry the message as a result of the steps. We try to carry in all our affairs. So like I said, there was no CA meetings where I lived. I was going to all AA meetings in Tipperary and I was traveling twice or three times a week up to Dublin to go to CA. So our vision for you tells us we have to create the fellowship we crave. So I was going to, to AA I still go to AA, going to AA and um, there was a lot of members there and they were wondering what was going on with me. You know, they could see something. There was a lot of controversy. Some people were having group conscience about me because they said I was, I forget the word they use, but basically upsetting the newcomer about ramming this 12 steps down their throats. <laughs> Somebody actually came to my house to say that they had had a group conscience Oh, I was poaching newcomers. That's what they said I was doing. Now, I laugh about it. I start crying the day the AA member knocked at my door because they were around like 20 years. And I thought, like, look at me, only two years in the door, you know. But anyway, I learned to walk through that resentment and let that go and still turn up at AA. And what happened was I started sponsoring some of the women there and actually some of the men. I don't sponsor men as a rule, but some of the men that I sponsored in that group, one of them in particular was in his late 70s and he was 36 years going to AA and had never been through the 12 steps. And I had an absolute beautiful journey with that man. He passed away in COVID, but I had one of the nicest experiences for him. But I started sponsoring other women and other men start being attracted to 
the program. It wasn't that they were attracted. They were attracted to, they could see the garden, the good. So you, you can see it. We see it. We don't talk it. You see it in people's eyes. And the, we started, one of, the, one of the lads started coming up to CA in Dublin with me. And eventually he and I and a couple of other members who all went back using, but they're in and out, in and out. But we opened up the first CA meeting in our little hometown. It's on tonight, Tuesday and I, I'm missing it to be with you guys, but that's okay. But we opened that meeting up, I think, uh, seven, eight years ago. Well, I'm nearly 10 years old. Yeah, about eight years ago. And uh, and it has mushroomed since. That has just mushroomed in the monster area. Like I was in Limerick last night doing his chair, like, and the guy who set the meeting up in there was coming to air meeting. And he was even acknowledging that, you know, from that one meeting, the next town opened the meeting, the next, we opened the one in another little village, the next town opened, the next town. And that's what happens here. You know what I mean? But I, I tell that story because, Back in the in the nineteen forties, when Bill and Bob were doing it, they got to be part of that big movement. Not a lot of people in big cities get to be part of that. I had the absolute privilege of being a part of that. And 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 every week, two, three, four members jumping in cars, driving a hundred miles to the next town to support their meeting for them, getting coffees along the way. I mean, it is a beautiful experience not to be missed. And then I hear like some people coming in and leave meetings on their doorstep, and they're like, "Oh, I can't get to the meeting tonight. I might just get a Zoom." And then they're on Zoom and their camera is switched off because they're busy making tea. And I do be laughing because I'm like, they're robbing themselves of the, the gifts, of the real beautiful gifts of what's on offer. And I'm delighted that that, that is part of my story, that if Young asked me to get on a flight tomorrow and come and do a share and I could, I would just get on it. You know, you were we were talking there before the meeting started about being in Canada last year doing it doing the sharing candidate and Terry who's on the meeting was doing one of the workshops so like I'm just asked to go anywhere and that's one thing I was told in in CA if you're asked to do anything that involves service you just say yes you know you say yes <laughs> like did you ever say no to drugs ever no I I didn't like weed but if someone was gave me a, a joint of weed I just smoke it anyway even though I hated the effects of the juice from it but I would just smoke it if there was no one else there to smoke you know what I mean so when we're asked then to come in and do something in, in cocaine anonymous we say yes you know and saying yes for me has turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me in my life because it has opened up the world to me. I got to be delicate for a country and travel and do service in Los Angeles for a couple of years before they moved to Texas. You know, I really got to be part of the fellowship at a whole big level. Like, you know what I mean? And But my primary purpose was always the most important thing was always helping women. You know, it really was. That was my most important thing. And then the last part of, the, of that, the third part of the 12 step, um, we tried to practice the principles in all our affairs, you know. I remember hearing somebody saying, if you can't practice the principles in all your affairs, maybe some of your affairs need to change. <laughs> and um, and that can be difficult. That is the difficult, but that's what the, the growing and recovery does. That's what's taking regular inventory is. That's what having an awakening is. Does that mean I'm going to be that way all day, every day? No, but the, the road gets narrower. It gets narrower as time goes by. I am very, very uncomfortable in a resentment, a judgment, a fear. I'm, I'm very uncomfortable in it. Now, I'm like everybody else. I can get into it. But I tell you, I pay the price for it. I get twisted up from the inside out and I get loose connection very quickly with the people around me, the good people around me. I get, you know, so I don't stay in that stuff. I don't wallow in it for too long. You know, I, I quickly 
uh, take inventory. And I, I, I really try to practice the principles in all my affairs, you know. And, um, you know, it's gas, like, me, wrote, me, me, me circle has got smaller. When I came in here, force, I wanted to be part of everything and be full of everybody and going to everything and going to every convention and going down everything like that. And, you know, and that's what I needed in me first few years in my recovery. For the first five years of my recovery, I had five women on the book. Five days a week, I had a woman coming to the house every day. I was working part time. You know, I always say that I was one of my biggest fears coming in was the money and the honey. You know, will I get my marriage back and how will I financially support myself and the two kids here without me, me ex-husband? And I really have to say, like, I, you know, that part in the book where it says if you perform his work well, God will provide her. You know, I'm not great with the big book language, but there is a part where it says perform his work well and he'll be looked after. That has been my experience. I have never needed anything. I never have much savings. But I tell you, I fly all around the world. I go a lot of places, I go a lot of conventions, I go I'm just back from Tenerife with me, me partner and me kids. We were there last week. God has just always provided. And I really think it's because I do the maximum amount of service I can do between home groups, between sponsoring women, between service at area levels, all that stuff. I'm just really involved. And I really think God has looked after me well. I haven't had one hungry day since I came in here, you know, and I didn't get that marriage back. And, you know, it's funny this came to me earlier I was thinking about um the 12 step earlier and I was thinking when I was going to court with my ex-husband and I was only about six or seven months clean and sober in my head I had the plan I wanted to move myself and my children back to Dublin because there was nothing to keep me here in Tipperary I didn't want to stay in Tipperary none of my family are here they're all live 100 miles away the only thing that had me in this this, this uh, county was my ex-husband. So now he was gone. So let me go back there. My recovery's there and my family are there and I have six sisters and they're all there. And um, uh, I went into the courthouse one day and I had just finished my steps. And uh, it was this man I used to meet from AA all the time. His name was Phil the Bike. It's funny, everybody in AA has nicknames. And uh, Phil the Bike said to me the day or two before I was going into court, you know, Dwina, whatever happens, just bring God with you. God is a gentleman. Put out your hand and ask God to hold your hand going in. So we went into the court and I sat down on my seat and my ex-husband was sitting over in his seat with his barrister. And I was with my barrister and in my head, I was like, tell them the story. You know, you need to get back to Dublin. You need to move the kids back to Dublin. You need this, you need that. And um, the judge came out and he said, well, um, have you decided what it is you want? And in that second, I looked over, I see my ex-husband was rattling with fear because he was afraid I was going to take the kids away and he didn't know if I was going to relapse or not. And I just said, God, I'm actually okay. Please sit with him. And I said to the judge, these words came out of my mouth and I didn't want them to come out of my mouth, but they did. Judge, I don't know what's best for me or the kids right now. I don't know what the best thing is to do. I'm going to leave it to the courts to decide. As soon as I said, I was like, what the fuck did you just say? So the judge says, well, you know, after doing the evaluations and the child's tests and all this stuff they had they had done, my ex-husband had paid, we think it's best that the kids stay in Tipperary until your youngest daughter turns 18. She was three at the time. So I sentenced myself to 15 years in a town that I couldn't leave, that I knew nobody in. Guess what happened? God had a plan and he had me busy helping others, doing for others, creating the fellowship I've craved. And a whole fellowship has sprung up around us. You know, God had plans. He had better plans, bigger plans. And I have to tell you, 
I got a beautiful home here in the country that was part of the deal my ex-husband gave me the home like you know what I mean so that's one of the financial pressures that was gone off me and my daughters have got to grow up in a really rural beautiful part of Ireland I was absolutely dragged up in Dublin city you know I mean I came from a horrific place in Dublin where drugs were just rampant and I see it with me me sister's kids up there they're just they're small teenagers and they my kids grew up around recovery they grew up to women calling over to the house men calling to the house people in recovery calling to the house my daughter was at our first convention with me last year she's almost 18 she loved it so much she asked can she come to the world convention in in Holland with us in July you know it's God had a better plan for me. You know, I stayed single for the first five or six years in recovery. I met a beautiful man five year five years ago. He just got engaged a couple of months ago. Um, he's also in recovery. You know, that comes with difficulties as people that go out with people in recovery know when it's good, it's really good. When it's bad, we're taking each other's inventory. But really, we have grown together. You know, things have been really beautiful. And uh, and he too is like me. He too helps men. And his primary purpose is that too. And we don't cross each other's boundaries when it comes to that. If he's to go off and do that for a few days, that's fine. If I have to go off and do that, that's fine. You know, that's both of our primary purposes. Stay clean to help others. And then it's us and the family, you know. And uh, it's just one of the many gifts. You know, the obsession to use is so great. The obsession to use is so, so great. I was sharing this the other night in the meeting down in Cork. When I was in um, Terry's country there in in Canada doing the share, while I was there doing the share, actually I was sharing at the World Convention, first of all I'll tell you this, I was sharing at the World Convention last year in Austin, Texas. And the week before I was to share, my 33-year-old brother died. He was the third sibling in my family to pass away. I had a sister who died of liver failure too, and another one who hung herself during COVID. And he died and... Um, he had a massive heart attack and he was on life support machine and I was to fly out to Austin the day of his funeral but I changed my flights and I flew anyway the day after the funeral and I done my share and I done the same through all my family things. I remember waiting when my sister hung herself waiting for the funeral to happen. I done, I turned up and done a share somewhere that I was booked in to do a share like you know what I mean it was actually for Russell in Thailand on, on Zoom. I know nothing else only to turn up in, in fellowship. I know nothing else only to turn up. You know, I'm not saying that, but this has just become my way of life. But last year when I was in, in um, Canada, my nephew had just got diagnosed with cancer. I felt really uneasy about being out there. He has a brain tumour. He's only 15. He's battling with cancer. And my sister, who is his mother, Sabrina, my dad, she's all to think of her in her prayers. She's been homeless for the last eight years. She's a heavy crack addict, alcoholic and... Um, we hadn't told her about him being sick because we thought the addict alcoholic will make it all about fucking her it's terrible we couldn't tell her that our baby boy was in hospital with a brain tumor looking like he's not going to pull through this stuff like and um, eventually we did have to tell her so we told her about about eight weeks ago and we brought her up to the house and told her we get her into detox the next day that she's allowed to see him once she's detoxing clean and you know this is our chance and blah 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 and she was all for it she was devastated about her son and the next morning she woke up and she said I'm just going to go into town to collect me methadone I'll be straight back and we haven't seen her since we haven't seen her since and her little boy knows that we told her now I know in my heart that she loves her son as I loved my children, 
But I also know that the obsession to use is so much stronger than even the maternal instincts that she's no choice but to vanish. Nothing has taken away the obsession for me to use, only this 12 steps of only this program and only God. You know, if you're new around here, you get a sponsor. We're like robots. We get a sponsor. We get a big book and we ask someone else to take us through the walk. I'm glad I was open and broken and knew that I had to seek this out like a desperate dying woman that I was. You know, in the last 10 years, I have had ups and downs. Of course I have. That's life, guys. We all have ups and downs. You know, that's the way it is. Look at it whatever way you want. I look at it now as all all places for me to grow. They're all places for me to grow. I've had divorces. I've had the deaths in the family. I've had all that kind of stuff that people have. But I've always felt okay in it. I've always felt this is going to be all right. This too shall pass. God has me. And I know in my core that God's plan is better than anything I could have imagined for myself. And that's the part I read out. I know when things aren't going my way that God has a better plan. You know, that rejection is God's redirection and all those little sayings. They make sense to me. I trust him. Does it mean I don't get in pain? No, I do get in pain. Of course I do. I don't stay in it as long. I trust the process. I get up each day and do what I have to do. And I've been given a life beyond measure, you know, beyond. I, I I thought I was a dope when I came in here first. I'm I'm just in the middle of finishing up on, on a master's degree. Like, you know, I mean, whoever would have taught, like, you know, I'm, I, I look, I, no, sorry, just a normal bachelor's degree. I'm going into doing the master's hopefully afterwards. But it's a four year degree like I didn't I I couldn't go to school I couldn't do stuff like that when I was small I thought I had ADHD but I wasn't I was just full of fear and full of low self-esteem you know what I mean and and CA has bred life into me it has shown me the woman that I want to be you know with God in my heart and the CA, the CA members and AA members and the good people that God works through in your life not only members I believe God works through me kids as well you know with with God in your heart and the CA and the fellowship and all that stuff around you I mean it's a life it's a life beyond measure it's a life you know that old saying beyond your wildest dreams you know my life beyond my wildest dreams is that I could sit okay and be comfortable in my own skin that's all I wanted and not want to blow me brains out or blow somebody else's brains out. <laughs> you know, and I have been given that and so much more. And I'll finish on this. Me two daughters are me, they're the loves of me life. And I couldn't say that when I come in here first. I was too self-centered. I could say it, but I don't think I meant it. You know, I loved them, but I couldn't connect with them. I couldn't do that. And since coming in here, like I see the program has learned me has taught me how to grow up and has shown me how to show me children how to grow up. I get to break that chain in my family. I get to show me daughters the godly life that we get to live in here and what's right and wrong. You know, I get to show them what fear looks like. They know all this language. They love all the language, you know. And, um, you know, I've been given just so much beautiful things. And I suppose the one thing I've been given is that I've been able to love other women. I've been able to give lovingly to other to other men and women in the fellowship and really mean it, you know. So I'll leave it at that. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>